Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation today. We have a special guest uh, Elder John Tandy from Waldo Restoration Branch is also currently pastor, correct? No, not okay. right now. Yeah. You were for some time. Four but, years. Four years, okay. But attends Waldo Restoration Branch uh, here in Independence, Missouri, is here today. We are very I'm, – I'm, thank you, John. I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself. Um, John and I have known each other a long time, Um he was one of the first people when I moved to Independence that had a website that had a lot of resources and things. And so I've used his uh, knowledge and uh, materials that he's made available for a number of years. That was way back when the internet was in its baby infancy. I remember dial-up modems and looking at, was it Tandy Land? Uh, forget the exact website. Right. Yeah, it was on my Earthlink account. So, okay. But yeah. So um, I've known him for quite a while. Corey and I often, it's no secret, Corey and I have, we've got hundreds of hours now going on our third year, have been talking about a variety of things in the scriptures, and recently we've really been focusing on what the Book of Mormon teaches, Um, and we've always asked for opposing views to come in. Uh, A number of weeks ago, uh, a group of men uh, sent an email to Corey and I and asked to get together. They had some questions over a class that's been being taught right now that's online. Uh, at Living Hope uh, Congregation. And so we got together there, and that led to some further emails, and John agreed to come on today and to talk about today very specifically eternal life and the plan of salvation and what that entails and how there's differing opinions in the church. And so John, so uh, very well put uh, before we started recording um, that we probably agree on a lot of things. Uh, if we disagree, we want to talk about those and just allow the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of the people listening and and lead us all to truth because that's our, our goal. So, John, introduce yourself and share whatever you want to share. I told you I'd give you a few minutes just to get acquainted. Sure, sure. I uh, appreciate you uh, being able to get together and, and talk here. And uh, um, just maybe quickly, just for for you, brethren, I... Uh, when we met last time, uh, uh, I said, you know, Corey, I think we've known each other, but only at, di- at a distance over over uh, email, basically, over the years. And then, Mike, I, I don't remember when we got acquainted in person, but I, at least two years ago, I think, but maybe right. before that, I, I don't recall. So, um, uh, but yeah, so just... And we had your daughter here. Your uh, yeah, daughter um, yeah. shared when we had the Book of Mormon interns, yeah. uh, Je- Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, Jessica. She's yeah. lovely. Yeah, lovely her song. and um, Josh Jordison were, were our guests with Lynn and Sugar because they did the internship for right. the Book of Mormon Foundation. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, just, I won't give you my whole backstory, but, you know, I've grown up in the church, uh, really just most of my life out in Odessa, Missouri, uh, growing up there. And, and so, you know, baptized when I was, well, eight, just before I turned nine. And, uh, you know, I had a Obviously, a long kind of deep belief in in the Latter Day work and that kind of thing. And um, I was an only child, and so my parents would—I mean, they were constantly talking with each other about the gospel. We'd drive up to Nebraska to family, and nine hours they would be talking the whole way, and I'd be in the back seat listening. Well, when I got older, it was the three of us talking, and I know 
realize, oh, we've been talking for nine hours. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and of course, didn't, you know, to place me a little bit, uh, I was in junior high in 1984 when the church all, you know, things right. blew up. And, and, so uh, we're roughly the same age then. I think yeah. I'm 50 years, you don't have to say your age if you don't want to, but I think you're probably <laughs> younger than me a little bit. No, I, I think it's 52. It was 69 when I was born. So, okay, 71. 52, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> funny, you get older, you have to go back to the birth date. Right. <laughs> I haven't done that for a long time. It's not because I'm old. <laughs> but even though my daughter says I'm old, but, uh-huh. um, but no, so, you know, and my dad was actually one of the, one of the few very vocal uh, people out in the stake, you know, center, uh, center Missouri stake that uh, was a, kind of opposing the church. And so I was in lots of conversations with family and church mm-hmm. friends and so on. And, you know, obviously it cha- it, our faith was being challenged and, and that kind of thing. And so I really dug in and um, just real briefly, this is a, kind of a little funny story is that, you know, my first computer I got when I was 13 and it was Apple IIe. Uh-huh. I remember those and Commodore green, 64 green screen with uh, you know text only and that kind of thing. Right. And I started, I forget how way back now, probably around that point, you know, a, a scripture list, like a topical list of all the scriptures, and wrote out the whole verse with the reference. And when I got up to about twenty five pages, I'm like, this is not sustainable because I'm not even a, a fraction <laughs> of the way in. So I went to just references, and then. Um, I then exceeded several years later, uh, 25 or 30 pages with just references. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but that's really, you know, my, you know, for to summarize that kind of theological background, I've always been really involved in like what I would call systematic theology. You're kind of putting together, you know, a systematic and kind of rational belief in, in you know, or, or explanation for what we believe and how all the scriptures fit together and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, of course, that includes apologetics and I've helped written or co-authored a couple of books on that sort of thing. Um, and again, I won't go into all the testimonies and background, but just one kind of foundational thing is I, you know, when I was looking at going to college and I was in engineering, uh, electrical engineering, um, I was praying about where do I go? And uh, and uh, basically through some prayer and I felt like an answer, the Lord, I believe, led me to Southwest Baptist University down in Bolivar, Missouri, just north of Springfield. Mm-hmm. And, and I was there for two years in their pre-engineering program and then transferred to Rollas, you know, they had a program to transfer right over. And so, you know, it, a lot of things there, but it was a great place to get into the college experience, even though I wasn't homeschooled, but, you know, it wasn't as much a thing back then. I was, I felt I was pretty sheltered right. <laughs> in my little town and uh, in the church and that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, at Southwest Baptist, I could tell more of the testimony later, some other day maybe, but you know, let's just say my faith was shaken to the very core I mean, the, the very core, like the principles of the gospel, <laughs> you know, baptism for remission of sins as, as a part of the gospel. I mean, mm-hmm. and the very core of, of what we believe. And I, thankfully, the Lord brought me out of, you know, through that and and with a stronger testimony. And, and uh, you know, there's so many that do get shaken and, and, and walk away. And my peers that when the church was all in chaos in the younger days and so anyway, so I'm just thankful that the Lord, you know, gave me that experience and opportunity and and uh, that kind of thing. So, and then um, again, I say more of the story. But uh, you know, we got married. We moved here to Independence, um, and have been really at Waldo since. I had a question. Know, the beginning. Your wife's maiden name Phelps. Uh-huh. Is that relation to the the hymn writer or the W W Phelps? Do you know? I should know. Um, <laughs> Something to talk about over dinner. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've heard it 
yes or no, but I, okay. <laughs> I don't recall offhand. Okay. Um, you know, I will say, you know, they, they were some of the, the small group that uh, began Center Place Restoration School and, and mm. Waldo Avenue at the very beginning in 91. Which is why uh, I the, live here because <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I wanted, I bought a house a block north of CPRS because that was kind of, uh, at the time I bought the house, the gathering place for the majority of the saints to come together and and discuss things. And I thought if I ever had a child that they would go to school there. And, and, and he did. Has. And he is. <laughs> so, okay, well, so you were raised in the church. And I like what you said of driving up to Nebraska, that conversation in your car was centered on the gospel. Uh, Emily Seaver was here uh, a number of weeks ago to share her testimony on stories of the saints. And she said, you know, they would come home from church or they would just be gathered as a family in the house. And the conversation always gravitated towards the gospel and Jesus. And I don't know if our kids are growing up in that kind of environment today. It's sad if they're not, but that certainly uh, gives a foundation, I think, to all of us, Corey, myself, you, that that was, it was a part of life for our families and not just uh, something we did on Sundays and then turned it off. Oh, sure. And I mean, we, of course, we tried to do the same in our home. Mm -hmm. And even then, I know we fall way short of of what we should be doing. and, And I don't know about all the other homes, but but no, I mean, I, you know, I'm reasonably impressed that, you know, people actually stay in the church in these days with so many forces of opposition in different directions. Yeah, yeah. And I'm even more impressed by some of the, and I've, you know, some of the young people, one person I'm thinking of in particular, but others that I know of who have actually come into the church from not having any either religion or not restoration mm-hmm. anyway in recent years. I mean, that just... <laughs> frankly, it almost blows me away just the fact that they have, you know, coming into the mess that some of us find ourselves in, and sure. yet they've seen the truth. They've they felt the, you know, the the truth, the, the fellowship, and that kind of thing. And it just, you know, I think that even in itself testifies of, sure. of the power of the gospel. But Well, I want to bring out today and just set a foundation. Um, oftentimes, Corey and I have broached, well, not broached, Corey and I have talked a lot about the nature of God as revealed, what we feel revealed in the Word um, and, and really importantly, and what brings it down to our very personal heart and mind and what we believe is salvation and God's story of rescuing us from our own sinful selves uh, to bring us home to him where we're, where we're meant to be. Uh, in doing that, it's often easy for, for discussions or debates, especially, you know, we'll just throw the words out here, the one God theory or the Godhead, that those debates take on a little, they become a little animal in themselves. And so there's no longer the big picture, the 30,000 foot view of why are we discussing this, but it's how can I prove that I'm right? And as we've said before, it doesn't matter if every single restoration saint uh, leaves the left side of the aisle or the right side, and they, we all get on the same side of the aisle if our only goal was just to have unity in thinking. The, the purpose and we can't lose sight of that, and I know we need to stay focused on that, and we, we will today, is is the result of why are we even discussing this? And that is because there's power in truth and in God revealing who he is and knowing him. There's value in just knowing him as he is, and that produces a changed heart. And there's nothing else on the face of this planet that's going to change our hearts other than our relationship and, and intimate um, marriage to the, to the, to the bridegroom, our, our close knit walk with him. So if, well, 
Bob Bobbitt came in not too long ago, and we recorded a series, and we're still working on it because I want to have many episodes. It's called A Reason to Believe, and it's not even it's not debating Scripture. It's why do I even believe that there is a God? Uh, he's got a website, wonderful resource. But in that conversation, something came out that was very important, and that is this. Most atheists don't follow their own line of thinking because the the atheists who were the philosophers, the founding members laying the foundation of atheism and why we believe that, they all arrive at the same point, and that is that they can barely get out of bed in the morning. It's a, it's a world of despair, and they logically concede that that's where atheism takes you. Well, you can look at young people today that say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, and they're out having a fun time, and, and what they're really doing is living in a life of escapism. They're not following their own philosophy deep enough to the end, or they wouldn't be so so carefree and happy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I was going to say, just jump in there, is I think that's so important right now. I mean, we've we've had a, many decades, many, you know, many, many years in the church of basically tr- our, our missionary effort has essentially been how do we show other, you know, a, a basically Christian culture mm. that the restoration is a higher truth and that sort of thing. Uh, whereas, you know, right, right we assume right now people's can, all yeah. been to the church and yeah, right. they already they believe in the Bible. They know what the Bible says, and it's just a matter of showing them this greater light. Well, right now, you know, what's the Bible? <laughs> Who is God? Why should I even care? I mean, those that, we don't even have a, an apologetic almost for that as a church sometimes. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I believe that's the truth of the Book of Mormon, though. That's been either overlooked or diminished in our day because. I feel like the Book of Mormon has clear, concise answers to the, to many points that you look at pretty much every religion and it's like, yeah, they agree on these things, but but every little nuance, there, there's a change. You know, it's like, yeah, we believe in God, but we don't believe in baptism or we believe in, in, in mm-hmm. God. And all you have to do is confess that you believe in him. And, and, and or, you know, we believe in God, but we keep the Sabbath holy. And if you don't do that, you know, you're not mm-hmm. saying you have right. all these things that I, I believe when we go back through the Book of Mormon, and, and they're not hidden, but you find these points where it clarifies on all these issues. You can find that, my gosh, the message is clear and true there. And that's, yeah, and why I brought up, I wanted to uh, kind of take that conversation with Bob about why I believe in anything in casual atheism. And, and here we go. We're gonna, Let's just get right down to it. I believe that the doctrine of, of okay, I want to clarify really quick this word. When We're going to discuss the church today mm-hmm. or uh, the organization. We're just going to say the church. When I say that word, I want people to realize, and, and what my meaning is, is the organization, the culture of the restoration, uh, not any specific person, unless that person has written a book or produced material and has put themselves out there as what they believe. We, we all recognize that we're on a continuum of understanding uh, some people are in different places on their walk. And so people have a, a wide variety of beliefs, even to the nature of God and things and how they understand that. So when I say, do- when I refer to the church, it's the doctrine, it's the the leadership, the culture, the message uh, in a very general sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I brought up this casual atheism uh, to say that I really feel that if people follow the philosophy of the doctrine of the church, not the scriptures, the doctrine or the, the, the teaching of what men have, have said the word says over the last many decades, if you follow that to its end result, it leads you to a place of hopelessness and despair. And we found and have heard from many people, even this week, uh, uh, from someone that said, I could never reconcile the word with what was being taught in the, in the church. 
And I just never felt it was this, it was this message of sadness. And now this message of starting to have this freedom of now I see what the word says. And that's the gospel that I believe has the power, as it says in Alma, it's the means whereby men may exercise faith unto repentance. It matters what we believe about God. Um, and so I believe that the doctrine of the church in many ways has cut off the atonement and things at the knees and really has hurt that message of hope. And that's why the church is where it is today. This isn't new to the restoration. This has happened through the history of time. Men stray from the plain word and and bad things happen. So yeah. go ahead and speak well, to that, John. Yeah, so... You're, I think you're kind of hinting at some things that'll get into the specifics oh, yeah. of where we, where we disagree. But I, I was going to, um, uh, if I could, maybe a little bit of, slight bit more background before we jump into mm-hmm. a specific topic. Um, you know, you, I think you were at our house roughly about two years ago. And, and uh, so you, uh, as we're talking, you mentioned a couple of podcasts to me. One that was, um, you know, Dr. Heiser. And I did listen to that, by the way, with some interest. Who was it? <laughs> some, uh, Michael Heiser, the... Uh, the Naked Bible podcast. I think you mentioned to me. Oh, um, I might have. Yeah, I might have. Uh, anyway, not not a, not a topic <laughs> for today. But it's uh, a lot of interesting things and things I disagree with, of course. But and you also mentioned uh, this podcast, and so I, I did start listening. You know, I, I went to the very beginning because I figured that's a good place to start. Okay. <laughs> yeah, as the song says. But um, and we've cha- yeah, I, yeah, I apologize yeah. to those that have. Well, yeah, they were what they were. <laughs> they are they were newbies and just <laughs> yeah, we're a little sure. stiff. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> fine. But I started listening, and um, in fact, some. With with a great deal of interest. In fact, back then I was actually driving to work. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Before COVID. Before COVID. Um, and so it was a good thing to you know listen to some of those on my way to Olathe because that's where I work. But um, and you know some of the things that especially I know you were bringing out Corey in the those early podcasts. I was just like. This is great. I mean, some of the you know, some of the very same things. I think in the last year or two before that, the Lord had been bringing me to the very things about. I, I believe it was about the, like the House of Israel and the covenants and mm. some of those things that um, were there. And then uh, I believe shortly, you know, after that, as it got into, started talking about some of these issues that we're probably going to talk about here: salvation and grace and and works. Maybe I, I forget exactly now. Right. I, it's been a long time now, but uh, and I found myself, you know. I won't say screaming into the radio. I was like, "No, you guys are not taking this in context." Or you. And that's you know, why we want so we wanted someone to come in here because I, yeah. I I want to hear the argument. I want to mm-hmm. bounce it off of someone. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Here's your chance. And to so my, my problem was I I was driving and so I couldn't write down notes. <laughs> and I think I was I must have still been pastor at the time. So it's, I just didn't have a lot of time to go back and just like dig in. And I didn't necessarily think you wanted me following behind every podcast. Saying, "Oh no, I disagree with you here and here." So I kind of just dropped it at that point. Uh, but the kind of the reason we're here is that in recent weeks, you know, months or whatever, you know, the, with the podcasts and, and the classes over, you know, uh, being uh, being taught there, uh, you know, I've had some friends and others that have, you know, we've had some conversation. And so that's why it's, you, as you indicated earlier. Um, but, you know, again, like I, maybe just again to center us on, you know, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus Christ. Um, we believe in the gospel, we believe in the Book of Mormon and the importance of the restored gospel and the priesthood authority and 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 really that you know and I know I am and I, I, I am assured that, that you guys are, are earnestly seeking the truth and uh, kind of as I indicated earlier, this a systematic belief that makes sense of all these scriptures. you know and some of the topics that you know and I actually made a list of <laughs> of the, the different points of disagreement that I sure. you know that uh, that I have. 
I was going to make a joke actually and bring like a, you know, tape a bunch of pieces of paper together and say, here's my list. But, That's funny. You know, <laughs> it's a short list <laughs> for now. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, some of these topics are big, you know, hundred, are. hundreds of scriptures throughout the three books and that sort of thing. And there's no way we'll, you know, in, in 10 podcasts, we could get through all, even all the scriptures on, on the subject, but and I don't um, know that we need to. Yeah, I'm sure we don't need yeah. to necessarily, but it, but well, it makes let me a difference. Start, let so. me start you off with just making a statement, and this is going to be fairly provocative uh, mm-hmm. to get my point across. Okay. But this is how uh, I think this actually reflects uh, my inner feeling of what it is, that Jesus dying on the cross is not good news. It's okay news. And that's what it, that's a very provocative statement, but that's what I think it boils down to when we talk about following our philosophy uh, to the end. Because Jesus dying on the cross, according to my understanding, the more I read and listen to the doctrine of the church through the years, and I'm not saying this is what the Word says, I'm saying the teaching of men and what's been promulgated, that Jesus dying on the cross allows me to be resurrected and my spirit to come back and to be judged and to uh, to be well, to have salvation. However, that's not great news. It's not the best news because I am then placed into a, a, a place in the kingdom of God that can be away from the Father, can be away from the Son, and maybe only have spirits ministering to me for eternity. And I find that to not be the gospel written in the Word. I find that to be a very different God and a very different Jesus than the scriptures talk about. And so in that sense, we do believe that in God and Jesus and that there's an eternity, but we believe very different things according to what I feel is traditional teaching and what the Word says. So I'll let you speak to that. All right. Um, You've hinted at a couple of points, or said a couple of points and hinted at probably a third one that uh, we need to... Actually, all of those points are on my list. All right, we'll take point one. (laughs) Well, no, let me... Again, at your uh, discretion here, I, I wanted to maybe just list, you know, not not to go into depth on any of these, okay. but just the list. And we won't touch on most of these today, but um, some of the points of disagreement, I think fundamentally, even before it gets to that point, is the scriptural authority. And I know there's been some, you know, some strong statements, I think, made about the Book of Mormon. And in fact, when we talked earlier, you know, the standard. <clears throat> um, sure. Not to go into that subject today, but you know, I I think that uh, what, when what, we start what would be your just, well, just on that, what what would be your reference then if if the Book of Mormon isn't the standard? What's what's your point of view? Just speak to that. It is the standard, but I believe the Bible and the Doctrine and Covenants are also standards of truth. And when we start Which undermining uh, undermining the authority, let's say, of the Bible or the Doctrine and Covenants, and and we'll we'll see if this is actually the case. Sure, I think it. It arguably can be or has been, but um, you know, I believe in three witnesses, <laughs> three witnesses to the Book of Mormon, three witnesses in our books of Scripture, and I think that's that's key. So I'm just going to park that on the on the shelf well, for now. But and we said we've got know. we've got plenty of time, so don't yeah. feel like if you if there's a real important thing, we can hang out here for a minute. No, and, no, no. it's all right. The reason I thought it might be good to lay these out is not to talk about them all today, or even okay. any, any you know, well, one of them maybe, but um, is because I think. As I get through the list of, I've got like, like six bullet points. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but I Just think they're list, all list them off, they're, and then they're we'll... all interrelated somehow. Okay, and I think we'll we'll see as we you know if we talk long enough, we'll probably see. Um, and and so that's I think foundational. Just to make sure that we you know that we can have some reasonable amount of trust that when we quote a scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants that it's 
we actually have a common belief that it's true, that it is, you know, that it is a scriptural authority, I should say. Um, and then along with the Book of Mormon. Um, the second point is that there is a father in heaven who is not Jesus. Okay. Now you've, you know, and you've talked about how the, Jesus is the father and the son. I agree with that. But yet there is a father in heaven who Jesus refers to as my father, that it's not Jesus. And okay. that, that's a Godhead question. Sure. Um, and I believe, I'll just state it, uh, you know, for future references, that uh, I, I do believe in what's commonly known in Christianity, more or less, as the doctrine of the Trinity. I, I see some small areas where one might uh, argue with the, the detail, but, you know, fundamentally different from, um, you know, as you said, the what modalism sure. or one in the Godhead. No, I appreciate you yeah. listening. To me. This this is why you're here and why because we have talked on all of these subjects. So mm-hmm. I, I think it really makes a good foundation for our listeners to get the the two uh, to get the the point. So go ahead. Yeah. yeah keep. Um, and the third is really bringing into question Joseph uh, Joseph Smith's Junior's vision in the Grove. Sure. And that relates to that because you know you say, talk about two personages versus one. We. We kind of mentioned that briefly in our our last talk. Um, And I'll just park that one again to to go on. But I think, you know, that is, is, uh, you know, it starts to cast doubt in the minds of our young people when we start unnecessarily, I believe, uh, casting doubt on on some of those experiences and how the church has, how Joseph Smith himself related his experience. Um, You know, the fourth, let's see, fourth is uh, that, that works, and this gets sort of indirectly to what you said, is that, that works do have a relationship with our reward and our glory that we experience in heaven or in the afterlife. Sure. And, well, yeah. we, we I think we're, we're that's where we stumble over words. Corey and I would totally agree to that. However, they, they do have an effect on our reward. However, as far as glory goes, that's mm-hmm. just non-existent as far as eternal life goes. So mm-hmm. that's, I'll throw yeah. that out there. Go ahead. So that's, yeah, and you didn't actually say works in your in your introduction sure. there, but that it was implied in that, I yeah, think. Absolutely. And so that, that is a point. Very narrow um, path that we need to walk. Yeah. And then uh, four levels of glory uh, that, uh, you know, I do believe in the the, the the traditional interpretation of section 76 and 85. Sure. Um, I do believe that those are what they actually say. Okay. Uh, now, how do you reconcile that with the Book of Mormon? I've, I've got a few, <laughs> few things to say about that. Which And we would which, say the premise yeah. right there is we don't yeah. have to reconcile it because the traditional teaching is not even what those sections say. Right. So that's, that's our difference And that'll that. be a, we could spend a whole, uh, Absolutely. A, a whole podcast just I talking will. about those two sections, I'm sure. Um, and then the last point is that, um, and this may get a little bit, well, I'll just say uh, that improvement in our character is not possible after death. I mean, the Book of Mormon says that, you know, that this life has given us is the time of our probation. Uh, this is the, the day in which we live and mm-hmm. and perform our labors. And then after the night of darkness and so on, you know, I believe that. Um, okay. And and I and I think when we get deeper into the conversation, we'll, you know, we need to talk about how, how does one die who is an in, essentially in, in an enemy to God and yet come potentially into a, into a state of glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might say celestial glory to use a doctrine and covenants sure. term. Um, you know, I, I, I see a fundamental disagreement there in terms of how some of the book of Mormon scriptures themselves might, might, uh, um, sure. speak to that. But I will also say, um, yeah, let me also give this cause this is kind of background as well. I, you know, I, I mentioned to you guys when we talked is that there was a sermon about 15 years ago that was very, uh, provocative <laughs> on the subject of the Godhead. I'm not going to talk about that here, but there was another sermon and around that same time period that was equally provocative on the subject in which the elder was um, basically sharing that the Book of Mormon says there are two places. 
either with God or not with God. You know, mm-hmm. two conditions, two outcomes, two states of being, and that sort of thing. And then he turned to section 76 and said, and this is really what section 76 says. It's, you know, it's all before the judgment and, and not after the judgment. That sounds kind of familiar because I think that's <laughs> what you guys have sure. been discussing as well. Um, and I disagreed with the interpretations that were put on that, but I went back and um, decided, you know, I basically decided to look at the Book of Mormon specifically on that subject. What does the Book of Mormon say? What did the Book of Mormon authors say about what their belief was in in uh, life after death? And what I noticed about myself, and this is kind of going back to my my systematic theology mm-hmm. <laughs> background, let's say how I think about things, is that I'm a reconciler. You know, when I see a difference between this verse or this verse or something in the Book of Mormon or something in the Doctrine and Covenants, I tend to try to, how can we bring those together? You know, how can we make sense, you know, kind of a unified theology and that sort of mm-hmm. thing? But when I when I looked at the Book of Mormon, I I fully confess and recognize that there's some challenging, you know, uh, ways, you know, the use of the Book of Mormon in, in this particular subject is, is challenging. Um, and so I decided, let me... Rather than using anachronism, <laughs> you know, an anachronism is where you bring something in that's out of place, like a, you know, a spaceship in, in first century Judea, you know, it's, <laughs> it's out of place. Uh, bringing something in that's not in its context. I decided, you know, what, let me try to read, just honestly read the Book of Mormon through the eyes of the Book of Mormon authors themselves. There you go. Put blinders on. Right? Put some blinders on. You know, don't, bring, don't drag Joseph Smith into it. You know, don't drag sure. the Apostle Paul into it. Um, and try to, as best I can, not to be reconciling these, these verses in my mind, but just to see what did they say about life after death from their own perspective. And I you know, put together a fair bit of notes, and I actually intended to write, uh, you know, put together a class or, or a paper on the subject. And I mentioned to you I haven't written my thesis on the subject yet. Well, uh, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I probably could write a thesis, but I got tied up with other things, and I haven't finished that work. So, okay. Well, hey, um, let's yeah. – uh, so I'm going to stop you there. You've mentioned mm-hmm. a lot of good things, mm-hmm. I think. And that's the end of my list, by the way, okay. of the big, the big okay. points. I want Corey, let's give Corey a chance to speak. The very first thing. So, so I, I just want to preface everything I'm going to say with, um, be straight up honest, um, mm-hmm. you know, the desire to uh, contend um, can be strong, but I, I prayed on my knees that our conversation would not end up being contentious. And in mm-hmm. fact, what I've prayed is the opposite. I've, I've felt that we are brothers and, and in, in my quest, my quest is to win my brother over. And this is, this is my goal, John, <laughs> if I, if I could, you know, just put it that flatly. Um, there's, Gosh, there's a hundred starting points. I suppose we can, we can start with any of them, but mm-hmm. I but, want you to speak, Corey, just, to the why okay, John brought up. I think one of the first things was the doctrine and covenants and the Book of Mormon yeah. and the Bible. Yeah, let's just. I'm going to give a quote here, and I want to see what you think about this. First of all, I think the premise is often wrong. We debate um, what Section 76 says versus the Book of Mormon, but Section 76, in my opinion, says something completely different than what the Church has transformed that into. And as we've gone back to very early, early Church history. It was evident that the uh, understanding of what they called the vision changed and morphed over time to what the church originally understood it as, which was during the millennium. We're talking about these things, not as an eternal judgment. Brigham Young was teaching in Nauvoo that the millennium started in 1830. I mean, that's a quote I can bring up. But, right. and, you know, and I know you've mentioned Brigham Young a number of times in your class. I haven't gone through all of them, but I've looked through some of the notes, yeah. but... And I don't think we just, need to bring Brigham Young I into. I want to give Corey an opportunity so. to just, Corey, 
as we've uh, talked about, why is the Book of Mormon so important as being a basis and a foundation? Well, what does it say about itself? For for one, I guess it says this in in Moroni's concluding works. He's he's writing in the fourth chapter of Mormon, and and he says this. He said. Um, these records will shine forth out of darkness and come to the knowledge of the people. It shall be done by the power of God. If there be faults, they be the faults of a man. But behold, we know no fault. So we know, K-N-O-W, no N-O fault. Mm -hmm. So is that a true statement? Well, I see you are putting me in a position to say if I said it was false, then... <laughs> no, I well, don't disagree with that statement. Well, I mean... And then, that's what that's what Mormon said, yeah, Moroni. Moroni wrote that, and mm -hmm. in the title page it states that. And King Benjamin states in the first chapter of Mosiah, um, he said, you know, he, he talks about how the Lamanites have dwindled in unbelief, and we should have been like unto our brethren. This is Mosiah 1, verse 8. We would have been like our brethren, the Lamanites, which knowing nothing concerning these things, or even do not believe them when they are taught to them because of, and here's, I think, the underscore, because of the traditions of their fathers, which are not correct. So here I'm seeing the Lamanites' reason for unbelief for, for these very words, he said, are because of false traditions of their fathers. And then it states, um, this is what King Benjamin is saying to his son at, first, at Mosiah chapter 1, verse 9. O oh, my sons, I would that you should remember that these sayings are true and also that these records are true. Um, and, you know, that he said, and that the sayings of our fathers from the time they left Jerusalem until now, they are all true. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and, and we started at the beginning by saying, you know, I think I did, that we believe in the Book of Mormon. Sure. You do, and but, I do. And so we really have no disagreement so, here. But I guess in this, if there's, if, if they're all equally true, if they're all co-equal on every level, can the same be said for the Bible and can the same be said for the Doctrine and Covenants that there are not faults in them? And, and then I'm going to follow that and say, okay, then if there are faults, how do you know? Mm -hmm. Well, fair questions. You know, this is what's called epistemology and the <laughs> fancy term is how do you know what you know? Um, and I guess let me approach this a slightly different way to, to your question, and that is um, I can look within the Book of Mormon and I could find places of disagreement find, within the Book of Mormon. Find one. I'm, we yeah. can take the time. No, it's, it's all right. No, go ahead. No, no go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I'm not going to go there because that's not my point. My point is that one can make, make out disagreements between different passages if they you know, if, if they want to, or, or if, even if it makes, you know, I it doesn't can, make sense. I can see that at times um, that you hear the son of God talked about. And at other times it says that he's the God, the eternal father. And, and so that's, those are words. And I think there's room for, for both, but I, I, I can, if that's the kind of things you're well, referring to, I could say that. I, I wasn't going to say that because I didn't want to veer off into that subject, but yes, there, you can take sure. uh, scriptures in the book of Mormon as, as, modalist or trinitarian and and you can see a fundamental disagreement right. there you can see verses within the bible that disagree with themselves and there's volumes of books written by fundamentalists on sure. you know how the bible doesn't <laughs> doesn't me, have any error let me and speak then, to that real thing. quick in just 30 seconds mm -hmm. i'm going to take the thirty thousand foot view of the book of mm -hmm. mormon and i'm not going to quote scripture and verse and if i say anything that you think is not true then let me know 
throughout the entire record of the Book of Mormon, repeatedly, it talks about these records are preserved by the hand of God. Uh, Moroni, uh, before he buries them, he, he lists this thing. He said this, these things were given by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And, um, and many times in the Book of Mormon, we have this language of an angel of the Lord made this known to me, and I write it to you or I speak it to you the very next day or the very moment. Uh, the language is so clear. We're, we're told that you know even a lot of the adjunct uh, writings and history that we're not even going to we're not even going to put them into this volume. This is for the spiritual things, the ministry of the for the people. We're told that these words uh, let us know how to come to Christ. And if they hadn't been preserved, then even those people back then wouldn't know how to come to Christ. And we're told very specifically that there was another record by the mouth of a Jew, it's referred to, we say that we would agree that probably that that was the Bible and that the Lord would allow that Bible to go forth through all the Gentiles over time and that he would allow that to be um, changed, to go through the hands of the great and abominable church so that many plain and precious things were removed. I can give you an example of that. That doesn't mean the Bible is not true, but I want to end with this final point, plain. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, we can write theses and all kinds of things on salvation, but if, if us as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ can't sit down with any person and in a matter of seconds and minutes tell them about the love of God and his plan of salvation for them, then we're, we're of no good to anyone. We can discuss you know, epistemology and all of these things, but I think, I think that as Nephi says, the purpose of the Book of Mormon was to be plain, and the people that it was written to through time knew of Jesus Christ, even from the 20th verse where the book starts to the end, and they were a more righteous people, and there wasn't this culture, this Hebrew culture of constantly trying to get over the law of Moses to follow Jesus. They all knew that from the beginning, and that's why the, the language is so plain, is you don't, you're, you're talking to people that are believers for the most part. All of that being said, we take that word plain and then set it aside. And at some point, you have to take words at face value. And I, I would just, I would leave with this quote and let you respond and then let, mm-hmm. let Corey speak to what he wants to say. I want to know what you think about this. Saints will still cling to the revelations of Joseph Smith and measure the written word of God by them instead of measuring Joseph Smith and his revelations by the written word. Now, if, if you agree that the tradition of men is actually what Joseph Smith said, and it was his intention, then I say you have to reject section 76 and 85 and throw it out like we've done with other revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. However, if you don't believe that that's what it said, and it is reconciled to the Word of God, that, then, then that's fine. And I don't believe that the tradition is what it says, but I'll let you speak, John. That was quite a mouthful. It was. <laughs> 30,000 foot view. Quite, quite a lot of mouthfuls there. Uh, you said quite a few things there, and I couldn't begin to... Uh, repeat back to you everything that you said. Would you um, agree that first, I presented the Book of Mormon? Did I say anything about the Book of Mormon that, that wasn't true as far as its purpose? Um, I mean, it's, it's what it says about itself in well, multiple places. I, I feel like that, uh, that you're both trying to make an argument out of something we both agree on, which is that the Book of Mormon is true. No, we, we so, agree with that. But okay. if So, but, I, so I'll just me, say this. If let you, me, okay, if let me you go think ahead 76 respond. is actually teaching what it says, mm-hmm. then at that point— 
I have to take the Book of Mormon over Doctrine and Covenants and throw that out because it's a new gospel. It's a new God. It's a new plan of salvation that snuck in towards the end of time that now we have to deal with. Okay, so I can, I'll can respond briefly to that brief sure. statement, which is I fundamentally disagree with sure. that statement. So that's where Bo- we both of those Both of those parts right. of the statement. One that, it, one, that the Doctrine and Covenants doesn't teach glories after the thing. I, I believe it does. Okay. And two, that it's in fundamental disagreement with the Book of Mormon when it, at its very core... Um, in that these are not teaching different gospels. I, I disagree with that interpretation as well. But let me let me go back to one thing that you said, kind of in the middle of of that, which stood out to me um, about sitting down with somebody and being able to teach them the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can do that with the Book of Mormon. Absolutely, I can do the same thing with the Bible, and I could do the same thing, arguably, with the Doctrine and Covenants. I've never really thought about it from that point of view. Um, it's not to say that taking anything away from the Book of Mormon by any means. It is it is certainly given to us for that reason of, of bringing people to Jesus Christ, obviously. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, to, to say that, oh, well, we can take the Book of Mormon and, and clearly present the gospel to somebody in just a few minutes versus suggesting maybe i don't know what you were suggesting is that we can't do the same thing with the bible i you know i would disagree with that i would say the doctrine and well uh, Corey, i want to let you speak and then i want to ask john a question well anything on any of that yeah (laughs) right right um so the the book of mormon came i believe because of what first nephi 3 says after the gentiles do stumble exceedingly because of the most plain and precious parts of the gospel of the lamb which have been kept back by that abominable church um, he said, I'm going to be merciful to them. I'm going to bring forth m- to them much of my gospel, which says, which shall be plain and precious. Um, and it's for this fact that so we won't stumble. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is if you follow the prophecies of the Gentiles, which is us, those who receive the Book of Mormon, the end of the story, not the total end, but the end for the Gentiles, for the time of the Gentiles, is that they stumble and reject the gospel. Mm-hmm. And what of the three books? You know, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire in this, <laughs> but you know, of of the three books, you know, if you want to say, well, they're all the standard and they're all co-equal, um, I I don't believe the Book of Mormon teaches that. I think it holds itself above the other writings as the one we can rely on is that it's plain and precious and that it doesn't contain doctrinal errors. Let's call it that. Let's let's say okay, some there, someone may have had a spelling error, a wording error, but it doesn't even maintain that. But the point is, we've been given this gift from God that, mm-hmm. hey, we have this we have this clear GPS back to God, back to salvation. And God is saying, and use it. And, and, and the, the very prophecies contain the fact that, you know, what's going to happen is that the Gentiles don't really use it. We kind of like, oh, yeah, we got the Book of Mormon, but then we have this other stuff. And, you know, if you look at just the proof of it. How you know, and you mentioned I can't remember if it was on air before how it was exciting that there was one person who kind of came into the gospel out of out of the mess that it's in, and I'm like, why aren't thousands coming in? And it's like if if we're if we're teaching the truth, why aren't they responding to that? And I I could go on about that, but I'll say that you know, uh, at a place in like Pinon, Arizona, where there's been never been a whole lot of uh, success in bringing the gospel, but people keep going back to the Navajo there. Mm-hmm. Just this year, uh, a group of people took a different message, and they simply took the message of the Book of Mormon, and they have a list of over twenty people who said, "Come back and tell me more about what this says." Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I see the proof in that. I mm-hmm. see the, that people are actually responding to that. Um, but my 
my my contention is that we do have to read the Book of Mormon with blinders on to everything else and see what it says and then compare the other words to it. And like you pointed out, Mike, it's it's not like Joseph Smith arrived on the scene and suddenly he was God and he was the, the only person on earth. And now everything that he came from his pen had to be followed as, you know, the perfect message and we had to question everything else. I believe the Book of Mormon came and that we were supposed to hold it up, something this church has never really done, and then in that, form our doctrine and form our message of salvation, which is clear okay. and plain and precious. Yeah. I said I was going to ask a question, and I'm going to give John a chance to respond and be fair there. So I don't think we can take the doctrine and covenants and even look at it as the same type of scripture or the same type of volume of work, because even as Arthur Oakman said, for the most part of it, it's like take this center out of office and put this center into office. It, it's there's a lot of that, you know. Later on, in the, right, sure. especially in the, in the later the, history. At the very beginning, there were revelations given through the Urim and Thummim, or the interpreters. I, I was thinking of this this morning in the Book of Mormon. We read about the character of men. Uh, at some points, it says, and, and God would would allow him to do whatever he asked because he knew he would not ask amiss. I don't know which which. Uh, that was Nephi or later on. Uh, but at the very beginning of the restoration, we believe Joseph was called to translate the Book of Mormon. And and I never want to get into the character of Joseph Smith because yeah. that's not fair. We can just base our we, – we just need to examine his work, mm-hmm. not his character. John, mm-hmm. you can say whatever you want about me and me about you. It doesn't mean that that's truth. But mm-hmm. if I put a podcast on the air and say what I believe, well, that's, that's my work, right? Mm-hmm. So Joseph – was told through the interpreters early on that that he was given to the persuasions of men and that if he wasn't careful, he would fall. I think that's a different character than we see in the writers of the Book of Mormon oftentimes. Now, that's just one statement. I get that. Uh, I, I may have phased out just a bit there, so go back and say that verse again. I, so I, it, early on, one of the revelations uh, given through the interpreters told Joseph uh, and it, that he was given to the persuasions of men, and that mm-hmm. if he wasn't careful, he would fall. Yeah. And we may think that, okay, he was scolded, and he never did that again. But I think there's other things that show um, through revelations um, where his character might have been, especially when revelations come out that are completely different gospel. And it's not really fair. It's not still in the Doctrine and Covenants. He did give a revelation on baptism of the dead. I don't see anybody in the Book of Mormon teaching something like that that is completely different from the scriptures. Sure. Well, let me let me pause yeah. there. So yep. um, we've got two or three things to kind of roll back through a couple of the last few statements. So, um, and then I want to ask you a question still. Sure. <laughs> of course. Uh, so that statement to Joseph was not the only one. Uh, there were several that uh, in which Joseph, in his own revelations, was chastised by the Lord. Sure. And I have brought this out to people, non-believers, you know, in the restoration, that that is great evidence that he was a prophet, you know, because how many cult leaders, so to speak, as they mm-hmm. say he is, how many cult leaders put themselves down in the eyes of their followers, you know, and Joseph is like, by revelation, chastising Joseph Smith. Um, you know, I think that's that's evidence, not that, you know, that we should, not that we should distrust him, we should distrust everybody, sure. <laughs> of course, but, um, but that, um you know, that he was truly functioning as a prophet. He was humble enough to let God rebuke him through his own words. Absolutely. And, um, and it also indicates something that you guys, I'm sure, would agree with, not putting words in your mouth, is that every, every person is fallen. Every person is 
a sinner who needs yeah. saving through Jesus Christ, and Joseph Smith was a sinner who needed saving through Jesus Christ. He was, so, and to hold yeah. a, uh, also prophets. There's there's the Bible I just read this week. Uh, the prophets fall, prophets give false testimony. There's there's scriptures in the Bible that God says, mm-hmm. and when if you step off, I will remove you from the people. Yeah. Uh, I believe that that happened to Joseph Smith by his own by his own words. He admitted that uh, uh, that that. Well, we won't go into that right yeah, now. Yeah, well, so. that's that's a whole different topic of, right. of when and if that gotcha. happened, and obviously we we couldn't prove it even if we necessarily wanted to. But um, and there's a lot of assumptions leading up to whatever decision we might take on that question. But um, well, I want to ask you a question. So, yes, go okay. ahead. Back to plain and precious, mm-hmm. John. I want you to. Um, this is not a trick question. I ask this to everybody on Stories of the Saints. Almost everybody. Uh, if, pretend I'm I'm sitting on a bench. I may you may not know much about God. Share with me the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is His plan for me as a person. In I won't say thirty seconds. In a minute or less, very the most brief, simple thing you could say. And so you've I'll tell you, so. <laughs> well, each one of us do this so that I'm not putting you in an unfair. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to do that. We don't have to take time for that because I'm sure you guys have expressed your your opinions or beliefs and expressions of that previously. Uh, just give me a second to to think. So, sure. Um, I mean, obviously, first thing I would start with is that there is a God in heaven who created all things and who loves you personally, and you know He invite he invites you to come unto Him, and He invites you to come unto Him through. His Son Jesus Christ, uh, and you know Jesus Christ came down to Earth in the, you know, in the form of man, so that He could live a life of, among us. And I, I'm, I'm, no, I get it. I'm. Uh, what would you say? Because uh, I'm talking off play, the top of my head. I'm so. going to play Captain Contrary <laughs> to you, and I'm well, not yeah. contrary. I'm going to ask you some questions as mm-hmm. if I, and and I want to flush out what the gospel is, what the mm-hmm. good news is. Yeah. And I say, well, I've heard yeah. of this Jesus, but. I'm 50 years old, and I've done some bad things in my life, and I just don't know if I have hope of ever being with him in heaven. I mean, is there hope for me? There is absolutely hope for you. Um, every every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and and every single person needs a Savior. And, you know, no matter who the you might look at as the best person or the worst person, we're all sinners before God. And that's why Jesus Christ came, is because we couldn't save ourselves. So is it's in his life that, that we are saved, not in our not in our own. Can I be with God in heaven? Is there hope for me to go to heaven? If you want to be. What do I what do I need to do to get there? Well the first thing is you need to embrace Jesus Christ and and uh, come to Jesus Christ and understand who he is and, and confess your sins and make a covenant with him. And a covenant is a lifelong commitment and relationship. Uh, that that you'll follow him, and and that he promises that he will forgive your sins, that he'll cast your sins into the depths of the sea, as as one scripture says, that he will cleanse you from those things that you're, you know, that you're concerned about as far as your sin and and uh, the things that are separating you from God. Jesus took all of that upon himself in his own flesh, and he took it to hell, and and left it there. So, so because of what he did, I can. I can be in heaven with him, even though I've lived a, a fairly bad life up to this point. I, I'm not happy with what I've done, and I want to repent. But my brother goes to his church down the road, and and he always told me that you know, that 
when you go to heaven, there's different places to go to based on how good you are. When I think about my life and how the bad things I've done and how I'm older, I don't know that it doesn't sound like I can even be with God, or at least I can't be in the best part of his kingdom. And that's what he's told me his whole life. Is that true? Mike, the, the, the life that you live before is full of sin and mm-hmm. it's full of good things too, but the good things can't get you into heaven. The only thing that can get you into heaven or into the presence of God, let's say, is that you are related to Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts says that there is no other name under heaven given whereby man may be saved. And the uh, your, when you embrace Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. But what he asked you to do is uh, that he said in Ephesians, it says that you are saved by grace, not of works but you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so the the life that you live uh, after you become a Christian is evidence of whether, you know, how, to what degree, how you have embraced Jesus Christ. And uh, if you claim to be a... a, a, a again, you, you've had, you start out by saying this is a, a 30-second uh, pitch right. on, the, on the bench and we're going into well beyond 30 seconds here. Obviously, this is a longer discussion, but... Um, and that warrants but, that, right? Yeah, so that's, that's fair. So, um, you know, so now I'm talking to you, Mike, Mike Barrett, who— So far I've <laughs> heard something. the gospel yeah. that I think that we, that we agree with. So, mm-hmm. but, but where it breaks down is this. So why would I not be with the Father in heaven? What would denounce—so what would be—what would give me, to use the RLDS terminology, why would I go to terrestrial glory instead of celestial glory? Well, I can answer that, but uh, let me let me back up and actually hit this from a different angle, which is actually something I think that I believe that might have even been on some of the early podcasts that you had. But if not, I, I'm sure you guys will agree with me on this. Um, and I'm going to step back here kind of outside of our, our circle of conversation so far. A couple of years ago, um, actually quite a few years ago, the Lord was leading me in a number of directions as far as like the law of Moses, the you know that discussion of the old covenant versus new covenant. And I believe that was some of the early topics that you guys talked about on the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and I very much agreed with, you know, agree with you on that. Um, a number of things over the next several years led me into essentially doing something I never thought I would do, is which is write a commentary on the book of Galatians. <laughs> and I realized after growing up in the church and reading this book for a good 40-plus years, I thought I understood it. Yeah. And it's, it's all I, about the law of Moses. I, it it <laughs> yeah, is, exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, I, I obviously, Especially the Apostle Paul four. and his letters as well, he, he hits you know half a dozen different topics throughout the course of a short letter. I realized it's all about the law of Moses. Right. Verse 5 through verse 6, you know, the very last verse, 618 or whatever, it's it's 100%. Paul was talking about the law of Moses, and it was revelatory. I mean, it, and there's some certain things I'd love to share sometime, maybe in a different time. But This is um, why I want to win you over, John. I'm just yeah. saying this truthfully because you know so much already. It's like, you know, um, and, and the same to you. I, I'll, oh, I'll go ahead. And, <laughs> but, uh, but the thing that then led me to, to that, to maybe to the next step was... It was really a, a revelation on understanding the Apostle Paul and understanding that Martin Luther got him wrong. Exactly. When and the, works, <laughs> right? the, the whole grace versus works and exactly. we're rejecting Catholic, you know, Catholic works, salvation versus, works versus Protestant. Of, works of the law of Moses, which was called the law of works. Exactly. Yeah. But it goes deeper than that um, in that Paul wasn't just talking about, you know, you, you can't be saved by the works of the law, but you can be saved by the works of, of faith. Um, 
He wasn't saying, and I, I'll, I'll assert this, you know, he, Paul wasn't saying that you're saved by the works of righteousness necessarily, but that you are saved by Jesus Christ. So, and it, when Jesus Christ is formed in you, Jesus Christ brings forth fruit, and that fruit that he brings forth is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what he says in Galatians, well, no, in actually, uh, yeah, in Galatians uh, 5, is that the fruit of the Spirit it's not that we love so that we can have the Spirit. We have the Spirit so that we can love. Amen. Right. It is the fruit that comes forth from that life of Jesus Christ that is yeah. embedded within us, that is born within us, and and that it is is Jesus' life that we we allow to live. It, it, essentially, the way I've, and I I spent a whole year. I was pastor the last year that I was pastor. I let me make sure I get this right. I I kind of set a theme, and I don't always like to do themes, you know that that kind of thing. But but um, oh boy, let me. Pull my uh, my thought out, of, out of, yeah, in my head down. here, because um, so far I'm hearing the same gospel. Uh, yeah, so I, I believe it is. Um, okay, let me just look it up because I want to quote it. Yeah. Um, and um, oops, my computer. Um, my computer just went to a. All right, go ahead. Okay, so, yeah, so the theme basically for the whole year was to be transformed in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, oftentimes, and I, in a sense here, I'm agreeing with you, is that the the church is often taught, you know, the principles of the gospel. And that doesn't matter whether we're teaching the principles of the gospel from the Bible, which we do, or from the Book of Mormon. If we're teaching the principles of the gospel without teaching who it comes from, then we have missed it. It doesn't matter if you're using the Book of Mormon to prove it or not. Okay. But be transformed, and this is Paul's words, you know, be, being transformed in Revelation, or Romans 12, uh, to be transformed in the person of Jesus Christ. And I, I mean, I, there was just revelation upon revelation. I, I would say, you know, many revelations there as I mm-hmm. went through and seeing the scriptures as they all came together, Paul and, and others, is that the, uh, you know, that it's through the person of Jesus Christ. I, I am accepting Jesus Christ, not like the Protestants would say, accepting a, a belief system about Jesus Christ or, or even a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I am accepting Jesus Christ personally to live within me, and as I let him live his life through me, then I am righteous. There are works, there, are, there is fruit, there, but it's, it's Jesus living his life in me that really is our salvation, that, it, that so, is our So our where do those... The sum total of works or sin, where do they land you in the middle glory? To go back to Mike's question where he used the word terrestrial, mm-hmm. if that's a state of eternal salvation where you're not with God and you're not with hell, what constitutes that? Okay. So well, I think to be fair from Doctrine and Covenants language, you're not with the Father, but you can be with the Son. Yeah, well, that's that's one statement, and then there's, of course, I mean, do, the te- you, do you believe that's true? The, the telestial is a different statement, but let's start sure. with that one. Um so let me go, and I'm going to answer the question sort of in my way, if you <laughs> don't mind, in terms of going back to my previous statement. So I'm a Christian who has put my belief and my trust in Jesus Christ, and I accept the life of Christ in the sense that I've accepted his forgiveness and I've accepted him living within me, and yet with his grace, in theory, if I totally, uh, and, and well, I'll, I'll go to a Book of Mormon verse, um, uh, Helaman 2.31, sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
before I go on, I was going back to my study that I did on the Book of Mormon and Life After Death, what I found was the Book of Mormon is very binary, let's say, or, or dichotomies, you know, of black and white, you know, Amen. yes or no. And, that kind of, and, the, and the Bible Bible does the same Plain thing, you know, that kind of thing. Plain and precious, um, right. Yeah, but the reality of it is... You um, just said the Bible does yeah. the same thing? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, you're either my right hand or my left hand. You're either going to heaven, you're going to... You know, th- those same kind of dichotomies sure. show up there, and I'm sure if I looked hard, which I don't know if I have, I could find the same kind of dichotomies in the Doctrine and Covenants, I, too. I can find it. But, um, but the, uh, the point here is that sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. If I assume a very... I'm going to say simplistic. I'll, I'll use a different word rather than plain. If I assume a rather simplistic view of that, I'm either 100% yielded to God or I'm 100% rebelling against God and there's no in between. I okay. And, and the reality is that I know myself, and I don't know you, Mike, as well, or Corey, but I, I feel like I could say this, is that, you know, that all of us are trying, mm-hmm. you know, with the grace of God, under that power of God's spirit, his grace, and so on, we are yielding ourselves to the Spirit of Christ, I hope, you know, I believe. Um, but to what degree am I yielding myself to that Spirit of Christ? If I'm only willing to yield myself to Christ to the degree that I will accept the name of Jesus, but not accept sanctification in being cleansed of all my sin, uh, not just my past sins, but my, my, my sin nature, um, or I've yielded to Christ by, by accepting his, his name as Lord, but I'm not willing to yield to being baptized for remission of sins by, you know, into Christ's restored church on the earth, then have I really yielded to Christ? Well, yes and no. Correct. There is a spectrum of, of yielding to Christ and therefore a spectrum of sanctification. And in that case, that would... In, that, in, in that, a very very simple answer, that that's that's my answer. Is that how can there be degrees? The middle zone is what the, you're saying. The middle zone. So it could be a situation where it's like I was good, but I didn't get baptized into the church, for instance, and so I'm in the middle zone. And I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just kind of well. That, that's kind that of what out. I said. But that, that's one example. Um, okay. All right. Uh, well, but that you well, I was know, just going to say, and, and that unless you you feel strongly to finish, I just no, wanted to jump ahead. in with like my response Absolutely. to this question. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. I would I would respond this way. And I, I I would say, say this, and this is back to the question, Hey, what do you tell the person you meet on the park bench or who's sleeping under the bridge? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you respond to that? The story starts at the beginning in the book of Mormon, but it's in Alma nine, uh, 1996. And, and thus we see that all mankind were fallen. They were all in the grasp of justice, the justice of God, which consigned them to forever to be cut off from his presence. That's the essence of our problem is that because of willful transgression from the beginning by humanity, Adam and Eve starting there, we are all consigned to live apart from God. And there, there is no remedy within our, own, uh, within our own being, within our own soul, within our own belief system, within our, within our capability to remedy that. There is no solution that we can offer to bring us back into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. To, and I agree. Right. And, and, the, and that... The, the reason for that is not because we didn't have enough good works. The reason is because we had sin, and the cost of humanity's sin was infinite. I mean, yeah, was, we're, we're not damned because of our sins. We're damned because of our sin. And it's really our, our sin nature right. that all the, all the sins flow out of. Right. And so the, the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. In other words, mm-hmm. this is something the Jews understood better than anyone else, that 
forgiveness could not be re, um, uh, received unless blood was shed. That was what the Mosaic law taught from the beginning, is that mm-hmm. blood had to be shed. Now, the Mosaic law taught it through symbols, through mm-hmm. the blood of animals. But it says, the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore, God himself atoneth for the sins of the world mm-hmm. to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice. In other words, mm-hmm. this justice came from God, Elohim, who makes rules that cannot be broken. If they were mm-hmm. broken, he would cease to be God, and he's not going to cease to be God. Sure. And, and let, me, let me pause right there. Uh, which, which verse were you reading? I'm in Alma 19, oh. verse uh, 96, oh. 97. Okay, Alma <coughs> so, 16, hold it. In which verse? 96 and 97. Right. Okay. But the, the point being... Or is it 19? Is that I'm a 19. 19. I'm a 19. No, 96 and 97. Yeah. So that we were all fallen. We were all consigned to receive of justice, which justice decrees, you are cast out of my presence forever. And when you die, you will be suffering because of sin, because sin in an immortal body. Now, it doesn't say it here. It says it elsewhere. But the point is that we would suffer great punishment uh, of our own because of that justice that we are all consigned under. The only way justice can be removed is if mercy is applied. Mercy has to be applied. Mm -hmm. Mercy can only be applied this way, and this is verse 97. Therefore, God himself atoneth for the sins of the world. All right, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say God sends another or sends a surrogate or creates another being. God himself atoneth for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy to appease the demands of justice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and we and have so, no disagreement there, by the way. So this is the point, though, that God himself becomes the atonement. Mm-hmm. And and so what I would continue to share with that father, with that with that person, is how this father does this. And I, I could turn to Mosiah 1, and I would say, and this these were King Benjamin's words, delivered by an angel to him. And, he, and I'll preface this. He says, these things which I shall tell you, this is Mosiah 1, starting at verse 93. These things which I tell you are made known unto me by an angel of God. And then the next couple of verses, and if you want to turn there, I'll give you a second. Yeah, go ahead. Um, he says, awake, and I awoke, and he stood before me. He says, awake and hear the words which I'm going to tell you. For behold, I've come to declare glad tidings to you. I've, the Lord has heard your prayers, and he's judged them to be righteous. And I just paraphrase that a little bit. He said, I want you to rejoice and be filled with joy, and your people be filled with joy. And this is the beginning of what the angel says. For behold, the time cometh and is not far distant that with power the Lord omnipotent who reigneth, <clears throat> which was and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay. And then it continues to go on and, mm-hmm. and talk about the deeds he will do. And he, he does all this, all his, his healing and his casting out of devils. He suffers temptations and pains of body more than we can suffer. And what is profound to me is verse 101, his bleeding Blood comes from every port, not just because of the size of the nails they put in his hands. He says, blood comes from every port. So great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people that he would bleed from every pore because of his anguish he felt for us because of our wickedness. Mm -hmm. 
and he will be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And to that point, the Son of God, I would simply explain from Abinadi's words in Mosiah 8, I would say, and he's called the Son of God. Why? Well, let me, let me pause I, right there. I, I, I got to finish this well, real I'll quick. I'll just pause right there and say, so far, everything you've said, you've quoted, we have no disagreement on. All right. That mm-hmm. God became the atonement. That mm-hmm. God the Father became mm-hmm. the atonement. That Jesus Christ... So, yes. so God the God Himself is what mm-hmm. the Scripture says. God yeah. Himself would atone. No disagreement there. All right. So, I would say, in a minute, I said, I would that you should understand that God Himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem His people, and because He dwelleth in the flesh, He shall be called the Son of God. Because someone would ask, well, why is He His Son? It's like, was there a mother God and a father God and they had a baby God? Some people teach that, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But it's no, the only answer is given in Mosiah eight twenty nine, he, he, Because he takes on flesh. 